0: I'm Janet Thornton, and this is Farming on Mars.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the 15th episode of Farming on Mars. This is Sierra Ware, and on this week's episode, I talked to Janet Thornton, who's an education specialist for the Region 17 Education Service Center and has lived on the South Plains her entire life. We talked about the challenges that rural school districts face, how small communities can retain teachers, opportunities for young people back in their small communities, and some similarities between farming and teaching. This is a topic that's personally very important to me because I want to see rural communities on the South Plains continue and prosper. I don't know if I'm being naive by hoping that, but especially as the population of Lubbock continues to balloon and the small towns around it continue to shrink, Education and the development of young people is something that's really at the root of the continuation of these small communities here on the South Plains, and I think it's very much intertwined with farming and agriculture as well, which is why I wanted to have an episode dedicated to this topic. So I hope you all
0: enjoy listening, and let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode. I am Janet Thornton, and I currently work for the Education Agency, a regional level region 17 education department as uh, an education specialist. I work um, helping schools with their accountability ratings and I provide professional development and support and coaching for principals and for high school counselors.
1: What are some of the main differences between larger more urban school districts and more rural districts?
0: Well you know one thing that, that usually comes up is pay pay inequities between urban districts and rural ones, although rural districts around here have tried to raise teacher pay as best they can to compete with the urban districts so that they don't lose teachers for that reason. You know, urban districts are likely to have larger class sizes. Um, It's not unusual, um, even in Lubbock ISD, you know, for students, for a teacher to have a class with more than 30 kids in it, um, it's, it's not uncommon whereas that would be very uncommon in a smaller school and um, be unusual to have a class with more than 20 students in it in a lot of our smaller schools. I think from a from a teacher perspective in a bigger district there's usually more administrative control over the way the teacher teaches the curriculum whereas teachers in smaller schools have more autonomy over that. One of the things that I think can be frustrating, and I've had a couple of friends lately who have gone from small schools to big ones, and some things about it they like, but one of the things that they don't um, is that whenever you need to do something or you need to make a change or you need to purchase something, there are so many layers of administration and so many layers of systems to go through to get things done in a bigger school, whereas in a smaller school, sometimes a teacher has the ear of her principal who can just make it happen. So that's kind of a difference. As far as students go, um, urban districts obviously are able to offer a wider range of opportunities for students because they often have access to facilities where they can teach things like auto mechanics or cosmetology or something like that, that uh, smaller towns struggle to, to be able to have the facilities to do that and or the teachers who can do that. So those are some of the differences.
1: What are some ways that more rural school districts could retain young teachers and not ultimately lose them to a larger school district right around or in Lubbock?
0: I mean, that's that's a, a perennial problem. Um, I have several principal friends out in tiny districts. You know, once you get more than you know twenty or thirty minutes outside of Lubbock, you always run the risk that you're going to invest pretty heavily, especially in a young teacher. Um, and that, you know, eventually she will opt for um, the convenience of teaching where she doesn't have to drive um, to get to work. But I think s- rural schools, in as much as possible, have tried to raise teacher salaries so that they can compete, you know, in that way. And some of them, with the putting in the, the new wind power, The windmills and and in oil patch towns, they've been able to um, develop their tax base enough that they have more money coming in and can pay more. But then some of the schools are pretty creative about how they lure people in. I know some of our smaller districts provide housing for administrators or housing for for teachers. And oftentimes it's a nice home for like $200 a month, you know. So if you consider that, that value added in, it sort of makes the salary worth more when you've you've got a home provided. I know of one area district that um, helps out with the commute. Like, they send teachers who live in Lubbock and commute approximately 60 miles to work there. They send a school, like, a van. And so they're providing the the gas, and the teachers are not out the gasoline price or the mileage running up miles on their own vehicle. Um, So they do that every day, hauling teachers back and forth from Lubbock to teach in their school. So... And I think another thing, just the human capital side of it, um, I think if, if administrators make teachers feel valued um, and if the community supports the teachers, I think that's not something you can put a price on. And so small towns that rally around their teachers and make them feel like they are a part of things there and make them feel valued and appreciated, I think that, that's not to be underestimated for sure.
1: Are there ways to improve ineffective teachers in rural school districts who may have ties in the community and have been there so long that it may be difficult to either approve them or remove them as a teacher?
0: This is a reality in a lot of our small communities. It doesn't have to be, but it, it is. Um, and it is a total misconception that you cannot get rid of an ineffective teacher. I think the best option as an administrator is to try to coach those teachers. You know, just like we coach athletes to be better, we need to coach teachers um, and, and help them be better. So my first goal in approaching a situation like that is to try to improve a teacher. So if the problem with the teacher is that they have a lack of skills, then my job as the administrator is to help fill that gap. But if the problem is a lack of work ethic, that's harder to fix um, and probably not worth trying to solve because that's more of a character thing but um so texas is what we call a right to work state meaning we're not unionized here states that have teachers unions it's a lot more difficult for them to remove ineffective teachers in texas it's not as difficult as people think it is simply a matter of administrators addressing deficiencies in teachers um providing help for those teachers to get better um, or if it's a behavioral t- type problem, providing direction, directives to help that teacher overcome that. Documenting those efforts and then documenting that those efforts did not change things. That's all it takes. And then an administrator can non-renew a teacher's contract or in extreme cases fire a teacher. Um, It's not as impossible as as people think, but absolutely, I mean, I do have to acknowledge that there is an emotional element to it um, in these small schools because, like you said, you may go to Sunday school with this person. Your children may play together uh, or be friends, or or the teacher may be politically connected uh, to someone on the school board. And so there's just so many... um, so many personal connections in small towns. I mean, you're going to run into them in the grocery store. And so there's a certain amount of awkwardness involved. And sometimes administrators, honestly, will avoid uh, dealing with things like that because uh, especially if they intend to stay in that community for very long, they they don't want to stay there and be friendless. So, But it's not impossible and it can be done. It just requires effort, documentation, and and then action when action is appropriate.
1: What opportunities are there for young people in rural areas and what sort of training or education would they need for those opportunities?
0: College is the right option for some kids. If you want to go into the business world or finance or the medical field or engineering or um, you know science or something like that college is the right choice for you and chances are um, there might be some opportunities for you as, as a college graduate outside of the field of education or agriculture in your small community, but chances are a lot of those jobs are going to be in the cities. Okay? That's just the reality of, of our economy. Um, but I really appreciate this about our, um, our Texas Education Agency. They work very, very closely with the Texas workforce. Workforce feeds Texas Education Agency data about this is where the jobs are. And TEA tries to convert, ha- tries to make that, that kind of training happen in our high schools through the CTE programs, which that's career and technology education. So that's ag, but it's also business and finance and computer technologies, um, anything, law enforcement, welding programs, cosmetology um, and I think that it's great that we are encouraging that, and I don't think everybody needs to feel like college is their, their pathway because, quite honestly, welders make more than I make with a master's degree. So I think that those kinds of occupations, welding, um, auto mechanics, mechanics are making good money these days. And I think those are the kinds of things that you're more likely to be able to move back to your hometown and establish a successful welding operation or um, an auto mechanic shop um, or even go into business for yourself as a cosmetologist. So I I think it's good that um, that the powers that be have have realized that career and technical education is valid. and that that may be a better option. And I think those are the kind of options that more, are more likely to draw kids back to small communities with those kinds of businesses. I also think that a lot of times kids, I noticed this in, in where, where I live, a lot of them leave But when they have children old enough to start school, they want their kids to have the same experience growing up that they had. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they move back to their own small town where they grew up um, many times um, and want to raise their families there rather than raising them in a large town. And that's not always the case, but I see it a lot um, in my own own community. But, um, you know, I think... I don't think that um, there are no opportunities, you know, in a small community, Um, and it it makes me sad that people are encouraged to leave their communities, but a lot of our communities, let's face it, that the jobs are either in agriculture, because uh, more than likely you've come up through a family farming operation, and you're going home to to do that, or, and a lot of them, education is the other, the school system is the other big employer, um some of our small communities will have other businesses that are generally related to agriculture. Of course, there's always you know local banks, but in the small towns they're pretty small and don't employ a lot of people. but um, I think it just there's so many benefits that I, I think that people don't realize until they're raising their own families that they that they want to come back to the community where they where they grew up, and they want to ha- their kids to have a small-town experience. Um, when I was a principal in a smaller school, we often got transfers whose parents had grown up um, in a small town but then found themselves living in a bigger city and didn't want their kids in a, in a giant school getting lost and, and for example, having to choose one sport to play instead of being able to play all of them, or they wanted their kids to be able to do everything and not have to specialize. And um, they would sometimes move, you know, to a smaller town to to raise their family, so that their kids had more opportunities.
1: What affects student outcomes in smaller school districts?
0: Well, so the number one thing that affects student outcomes is the quality of the classroom teachers. And the second thing is the quality of the school's leadership. So when those two things get taken seriously and prioritized above everything else, like we're going to hire the best teachers we can get and we're going to coach our teachers to get better and our teachers are going to be open-minded to that because our leaders have created a culture here where we have a growth mindset, not just for kids, but for the adults too. But also... Just like in every other type of business, the places that are doing well are using actual data to make their decisions about how they instruct students. Um, it's not just random. It's very targeted to what kids need based on studying the data from you know, both formal data and informal data, whether it's breaking apart how they did on tests and analyzing exactly what they didn't get and then making sure they get that. Through reteaching or more informal data by just questioning students in class and seeing if they know answers, but um, I think that's the big difference, and that's where we see um, that's where we see schools being successful when there may be a school that just mirrors it, and you know the, the the student demographics or whatever look the exact same. One is highly successful, and one is not. It has to do with um, Leadership that holds people um, to a high standard and holds people accountable and uses data to to grow kids and has kids knowing their own data. Our most successful schools that we go into, students know their own data. Like they can tell you their reading level. Young kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't see that everywhere.
1: What are some challenges that teachers in smaller schools face?
0: I think our... Our bigger school districts provide a lot of professional development. I mean, a lot of times teachers in those districts complain that it's too much. But sometimes our smaller districts don't provide that targeted professional development. And that's why teachers come to us. They come here um, to our facility to to get that. But... um, Sometimes it's just a lack of professional development, and sometimes um, it's a lack of of um, leadership knowing how to develop teachers. So that's one thing that we, you know, we work a lot with on principals is knowing how to develop teachers. I would say also that a lot of teachers who struggle, they struggle because they haven't learned classroom management skills. In other words. Um, having an organized classroom where students behave, interact uh, interact with each other appropriately. Um, a well-run classroom doesn't look like a bunch of stone-cold, silent kids. It looks like interaction between kids, but controlled interaction. Um, and so teachers who struggle to ever get that part of it right, it doesn't matter how much content knowledge they have. If they can't make the kids... Um, if they haven't developed the kind of procedures that turn into routines, that turn into systems in the classroom, then it doesn't matter how much content knowledge the teacher has, she won't be able to be effective if she doesn't get that part right. And I think some people, for some people they're just naturals at that. They're just natural type A personalities, and they just control things. And they, they teach it to the kids from day one. But it, that does not come naturally to everybody. And that's a really hard thing to teach someone. So, um, I think that that's probably a big struggle is student behavior, but it comes from lack of teacher knowledge in how to develop that.
1: How has the direction of small towns on the South Plains shifted, especially as Lubbock gets increasingly larger?
0: I don't know, well I mean, if if the current trajectory continues, the small towns keep shrinking and the big cities around them keep growing. So, you know, every time I'm going to eat in Nielsen's of Floyd Ada, which I haven't in a long time, but I always look at that population sign. It's like an old population sign that's on mm-hmm. the, they have a hanging on the wall, and it's like something over ten or 11,000 people in Floyd, Ada? in Floyd Ada. So 20, uh, 30 years ago, we lived in Floyd County. There were two department stores downtown and multiple, like, shops, and it was just like a, you know, thriving community, and a 3A school, you know, one of the bigger, Mm -hmm. uh, bigger small schools around, and now um, they are a small, you know, very small, I don't know, the population, I don't know if it's 2,000, or it's, it's, but people have moved toward the bigger cities, and, you know, they just didn't stay there like, like my generation, a lot of people in my generation stayed there, but a lot of people moved away to the bigger cities. So, you know, as you've seen, like, the population of Lubbock, like, grow so much to, you know, almost a quarter of a million people. Um, but the, the, <laughs> the flip side of that is that the smaller towns around are shrinking. Yeah. Because everybody's moving into town. That's where the jobs are. The convenience and all of that. and And honestly farm labor has become so mechanized you know like so much of farming is mechanized now it used to be in um in floyd county 30 years ago during the summer the population of floyd county would almost double because of farm labor coming in seasonal farm labor and then roundup cotton came out (laughs) and that doesn't happen anymore the labor camp is empty and has been for years and so you just don't have that anymore Mm -hmm. How is the world of farming similar to the world of education? Well, so I just was thinking um about the similarities between farming, which is mostly your um your audience mm-hmm. and educators and there's so many similarities. Like for one thing, every year they get a fresh start. So a teacher every year has a a brand new crop of kids walk through the door, new faces, a, f- a clean slate, and um, a fresh start, just like a farmer goes out in April or May and, and starts a fresh crop under different circumstances than he had last year, um, or at least at the time doesn't know what those circumstances are going to be. Um, so there's that's a thing in common. I think another thing um, that they have in common is that neither teachers nor farmers can control all of the inputs, but they have to get the maximum yield with the highest quality, with what they have. So a teacher cannot control the home that a student comes from. A kid may come from a home where there's a lot of stress, um, financial stress. There may be violence in the home. There may be substance abuse. And a teacher can't control that, but she still has to, to do the best she can for that kid. A farmer can't control the weather or the price of crops but he has to do the best he can under the circumstances. And um, I also thought too, and I mentioned this earlier in our conversation, the most successful people are the ones who use data to drive their decision-making rather than emotion. Um, Teachers who use data about student learning to decide how to teach students are much more successful farmers who use data whether that is really sophisticated data like soil samples or a drone that measures the moisture and heat level in your field or or just on informal data from walking out in the field and looking at the plants and make decisions based on what that field needs rather than trying to treat every field the same. I think those are the most successful people um, but mainly I think both teaching and farming are labors of the heart um, because teachers, the good ones, the good teachers and farmers put their heart and soul into what they're doing. Teachers want to turn out a student who's academically equipped to be successful beyond the school, um, and farmers want a high-yield a high and a quality crop. So there's a lot of similarities. It's not that different. We're both, we're both in the business of growing things kids or or crops
1: and that's it for this week thank you so much for listening and please check back again later this month for another episode about the people of the plains I don't know the answers but the question